G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. Uh, says this, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is the bit. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising, sorry, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's that bit there. For the joy set before him endured the cross. Brothers and sisters, so far these three weeks in James's letter to the churches, we've focused on some, just some of the big themes, um, faith and action. Does your faith, does your life rather, in practice, in action, in reality, does your life reflect the fact that you have a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in practice, in reality, in the way that you live your life? Uh, the week beforehand, it was wealth and poverty, wasn't it? So, does our heart... In our heart of hearts, do we truly value life from God through Jesus, which of course isn't just my life through God in Jesus, but ours, do I value human life, God's gift of life wherever it is um, under God, or are the things that I really value uh, is my real heart's desire and my life's pursuit, just the stuff that fills my life, whether it be wealth and treasure, possessions or even less tangible things, credibility, respect, Um, and so forth. But today, we have to take on this other major theme or cluster of themes in James, perseverance, trial, suffering in the Christian life. For James, you see, you will face trial. You are going to meet temptation. We will experience suffering. These things are real, they are present, You cannot dodge them, they are not going away, you cannot realistically hope to avoid them in your life as much as we kid ourselves that maybe I'll get through. Look at this, um, James's call to us is that in the face of very real trials, even brutal suffering, very real testing, James's message is that joy and help and hope and peace can be your experience, Christian. Not that joy and help and hope and peace can be yours instead of suffering. No, no, in the midst of it, even in it, even in the trial, joy and help and hope um, and peace are held out for us there. Uh, Let me just say, uh, before I pray, I I feel a little uncomfortable um, preaching this sermon. Why is that? Because We all know, a couple of you celebrated just recently your 90th birthdays. (laughs) You've seen a lot of years. Uh, Quite a number of us here this morning are approaching that milestone. So it's weird somehow, I reckon, for some young punk like me (laughs) to get up and preach to you, persevere. Because what do I know? Um, Yes, it's true, this is the Word of God and God is eternal, which kind of puts our short lives in perspective no matter who we are. I guess what I'm saying is, let's sit under this Word together from James this morning. Uh, With that in mind though, I'd like to, before I pray, I'd like to begin with a little story from a much older man than me. Uh, His name's John Piper and he tells the story of a much older man than him. And that older man still, his name is Polycarp, there he is, Polycarp of Smyrna. Um, I'll just say this, 
86-year-old Polycarp knew a thing or two about perseverance. Here we go. Polycarp was the Bishop of Smyrna in Asia Minor, so that's um, the very western tip of Turkey. Uh, he lived from about AD 70 to 155, 69 to 56, that'll do. Um, he is famous for his martyrdom. Tensions had risen between the Christians and those who venerated Caesar. The Christians, get this, were called atheists because they refused to worship any of the Roman gods and had no images or shrines of their own. At one point, a mob cried out, away with the atheists, let search be made of Polycarp. And you see, so he's the bishop, so it makes sense. He's the figurehead, they go for him. Try and take him down when religious tensions um, got nasty. Anyway, at a cottage outside the city, Polycarp remained in prayer and did not flee. He had a vision of a burning pillow and said to his companion, I must needs be burned alive. The authorities sought him and he was betrayed to them by one of his servants under torture. He came down from an upper room and talked with his accusers. All that were present marvelled at his age and constancy and there was Uh, and that there was so much ado about an arrest of such an old man. He, Polycarp, asked for permission to pray before being taken away. They allowed it, and being so filled with the grace of God that for two hours he could not hold his peace. In the town, the sheriff met him and took him into his carriage and tried to persuade him to deny Christ. Now, what harm is there in saying, Lord Caesar, and in offering incense, and thus saving thyself? Polycarp answered, I do not intend to do what you advise. Angered, they hastened him into the stadium where there was a great tumult. The proconsul tried again to persuade him to save himself. Have respect to your age, swear by the genius of Caesar, repent, say, away with the atheists, that is, the Christians. Polycarp turned to the mob of lawless heathen in the stadium and he waved his hand at them and looking up to heaven, he groaned and said, away with the atheists. Again, the proconsul said, swear and I will release thee, curse the Christ. And to this, Polycarp gave his most famous response. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Can we pray together as we come to James and this trials and temptation and perseverance? Let's pray. Father, old or young this morning, rich or poor, happy or sad, healthy or sick, strong or weak, making a difference or feeling at a loss, would you please teach us all the way of Christ this morning, the way of perseverance, the path in which you'd have us tread because it's the path that he trod. Teach our heads, please, Father, but take our hearts and bend our wills as well and soften us to your calling in this very difficult dimension of our lives. We're asking, Father, for your mercy for your continued grace this morning, for gifts in and among us that would change us and transform our lives together over the years. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, One of the things that makes it pretty obvious that James saw perseverance as a a big deal um, for the Christians that he was writing to 
Oh, just listen to how he starts his letter, okay? First cab off the rank, listen to how he starts his letter. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings, here we go, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's first cab off the rank. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Well, that man shouldn't think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Can you recall to mind, just for a moment for me, that the last person that you saw go through the ringer in life, the last person that you really saw under the pump, is it, is it fair to say, when our Christian friends suffer, we find consolation in verses like that one from 1 Corinthians 10, do you know the one, do you remember it, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, God is faithful, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's this comforting thought, isn't it? God is faithful, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And so, as we look at our friends go through the ringer, they're facing things that we don't, we don't know how they're going to do. How on earth are you going to do We find comfort in verses like that, I think. Now, that said, I don't think that necessarily looks how we think it should. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not driving a wedge between Paul and James. I think if we were to dig around in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we'd find the same thing as I'm about to show here. I'm just saying that I don't think that experience looks quite how we think it should. Let's just build up the picture, a profile of the the suffering one, the one under trial here from these verses in James that we just read. Give me the profile of this sufferer, of what trials and perseverance look like in human life, in lived experience. Here's what I see here in James, I'm seeing a person who is under trial and that That trial threatens, at least, to sap them of their joy. And so, James, the first thing he says is to consider it pure joy. Don't lose that, says James. I'm seeing a sufferer here who, in their trial, suffers also from confusion and worry. He doesn't know what to do. Now, verse 5 there has it in kind of sterile language, I think, it makes it hard to grapple onto, what does it say, if any of you lacks wisdom, but how would you and I say that? We'd say, I don't know what to do. I'm seeing here someone who, someone down on whom the winds of life are beating hard, down on their very souls and they are tempted to doubt and waver and buckle more on doubt in a little second, but I think Doug Moo's comment here is very helpful. I'm not sure if it'll come up. Uh, Doug Moo says, James is not here claiming that prayers will never be answered where any degree of doubt exists. For some degree of doubt on at least some occasions is probably inevitable in our present state of weakness. Rather, he wants us to understand that God responds to us only when our lives reflect a basic consistency of purpose and intent, a spiritual integrity. James's profile of, of the Christian sufferer here, the, the one going through trial, it's someone who is pleading with God for wisdom that she lacks, in a storm that she cannot control, 
with a faith that is feeling strained to the limit and perhaps even provoking her to doubt in a big way. All I want to say here is that if you've suffered like this, if this has been your experience in trial, please don't think that you're somehow outside of legitimate Christian experience. It's, it's James's first cab off the rank when he writes to these Christians. Yes, call for wisdom. Yes, lean on the Lord and brother, sister, do it expectantly. And yes, may we even lean to learn rather to count that experience a joy, knowing that in some small way, the character of my Lord Jesus is being etched into my very being. But I've got to tell you, that etching hurts. It's more like a tattoo than painting the nails, isn't it? Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm just going to skip over the next paragraph because we, uh, we covered that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but trials, yes, says James, they have this certain look about them from the outside. You look at a person who's going through the ringer, they'll have this certain profile. But let's turn now to the inner turmoil, the inner dimension of the heart, namely temptation. Come with me, verse 12, pick it up there please, chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man, man or woman, the person, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who loved him. Notice now we've moved just from the here and now formation of the character of Christ. James wants to draw our gaze on toward where we're going, the crown of life that God has to eternity, out of the here and now troubles and trials into um, the future. And so verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, folks, here's one of the places where I feel very keenly my youth, my juniorness, in speaking with some of you this morning. Let me explain why. If we cast our minds back, we've got the profile, right, of the the person going through the ringer there from the paragraph beforehand, beaten down by the winds of life, confused in her own lack of wisdom as to how to proceed, broken by her own inability. And James is saying, even as you're looking at that person, it can still go two ways. One sufferer will turn toward her Lord, another will turn against her Lord. And James says here, no matter what the trial what are you telling yourself? When tempted, James says, no one should say, God is tempting me and, and on he goes. Uh, can I tell you a quick story here? Um, I remember uh, years and years ago, I don't know how old I was, maybe 10 or something like that, I walked in on a movie that was on on the telly, I guess my older sister maybe or mum and dad were watching the movie anyway, it was just, I came in halfway through so I don't actually remember. If you figure out which movie it is, tell me because I'd quite like to watch it actually if you wouldn't mind. Um, anyway, here's the scene. There's two girls, sisters, um, playing together. They're alone. They're playing together along the banks of this stream, um, this stream in a forest. And um, 
It's a clear stream, it's a beautiful picture, uh, a little foreboding though, and I think they were arguing. And I think there was pushing involved. Anyway, whatever the case, one of the girls slipped. She tumbled and she fell into this stream down the bank, which would have been fine, would have been fine, no big deal. But the swift current immediately pinned her in the tangles of a submerged tree branch that was there. And what made it awful, a couple of things actually made this scene particularly bad. She's stuck there. Two things. Firstly, the clarity of the water. Because you could see her looking up and the bubbles drifting up from her. It just made it a gruesome thing. But second, and this is what made it... I mean, the next moment it actually got worse. It took your hope of rescue away. And here's why. Because this old, gnarled woman... (laughs) old gnarled woman, everyone, all the kids knew she was a witch, like an actual witch. That, that, that was her role in the story. This gnarled woman appears on the bank with a massive long stick and starts poking this drowning girl in the guts as if to get the air out of her and make it happen all the quicker. Here's the thing, here's, here's the next scene that I think reveals what James is talking about here, what he's driving at. Because the next scene shows that old woman, now in her cottage, serving soup to two girls, one dripping wet but still very much alive, and the other relieved, somewhat ashamed to have thought her a witch, somewhat ashamed to have thought that she was trying to drive the air from her lungs rather than free her from the tangle. What is the story that we are telling ourselves about God when life is poking us in the guts? What is the story that we are telling ourselves about God's role in that? Are we telling, are we reminding, are we impressing upon ourselves truths like this? Verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. And how do we know that God is good and for us? Verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. The thing is, the outer trials of life become these inner temptations, don't they? Christian maturity, uh, this is Doug Moo again, Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation but by the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. And I think James is saying, turn not against the Lord, brothers and sisters, when you've gone under. Turn toward the Lord, your Lord who hasn't just put life ahead of you, off in the future, but who is working life in you now, has given you birth now, is at work in you now, to cultivate perseverance, to cultivate the character of Christ. He would have you be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? So lastly then, how does it look? What does it look like? Um, Turning toward the Lord, leaning on the Lord, looking for the Lord. Come with me to chapter 5, finally. So we started at the very beginning of the letter and we're going to go now almost to the end, chapter 5. You see, I have this hunch 
Brothers and sisters, I I can see it in myself and I wonder if I can see it in us as well. I have this hunch that for some of us, we genuinely expect, we hear stuff like this about trial and difficulty and persevere and all this kind of stuff, but I have this hunch that we genuinely expect, we almost demand that in this life we order and God kind of has to give us a pretty good trot, that our lives should work and they should work out kind of like the book of Proverbs, you know, the book of Proverbs, if you do good, then good things will come of it in your life, you you do right, you'll get rewarded here and now, life will work and of course there's a certain um, truth to that but friends, and I say this especially to those of us for whom life hasn't worked that way and who find that deeply confusing as a Christian or confronting or troubling or distressing, I'm not convinced that Jesus painted the Christian life in such uniformly rosy colours, that he used such a rosy palette Uh, and I'm not sure that James did either and we'll come to James in a minute but just for instance cast your mind back to our Lord's words uh, in Matthew chapter 16, he's, uh, he's there, he's just said that he's going to the cross, the cross and then he starts talking about what discipleship is going to look like, what it's going to look like to follow him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, what did he say? He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. What an image, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? And I think James has a similar thing to say to us here in chapter 5. Don't expect Proverbs, Christian. What should you expect? Have a look from verse 7, James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains? You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door, which is a very dour, even I want to say a very distressing kind of an image to set before people who are have the task of persevering but that's not all he says, keep going, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets, not the proverbs but the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, as you know we consider blessed those who have persevered, you've heard of Job's perseverance, think about Job for a second, things were going along swimmingly and then he lost all of his kids, all of his wealth in a single day and even his health, You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Brothers and sisters, this morning, we won't find joy and help and hope and peace instead of trials and temptations and going through the ringer. I just don't think that's the hope that the New Testament holds out for us. It doesn't mean that there won't be some joys, of course, But we won't find joy and help and hope and peace instead of trials and temptations. But that doesn't mean that there's no joy and help and hope and peace to be found at all. Our Lord Jesus found joy in the hope that lay beyond Him and beyond His cross. Our Lord Jesus found help from heaven as He faced His cross. Our Lord is our hope 
Uh, notice that the Lord here, yes, he, sure, he's the judge who's coming, the Lord is coming, the judge is standing at the door, but who is this judge? What is his character? The end of verse 11, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So where we have failed and where we've suffered badly, where we've wavered and doubted and stumbled, where we've turned against one another as we go through the ringer and even the Lord within our hearts. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Here is our hope. From heaven he gives wisdom, from heaven he showers us with good gifts and from heaven he will return one day. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Can we finish with um, a, a little bit of that Polycarp story again? So Polycarp, 86 years, persevering under trial now with joy very much set before him, knowing that God has always been good to him, knowing that God has promised him life. Here we go, Polycarp gave his famous response, 80 and 6 years have I served him, God, and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul said again, swear by the genius of Caesar, And Polycarp answered, if thou dost vainly imagine that I would swear by the genius of Caesar as thou sayest, pretending not to know what I am, hear plainly that I am a Christian. The proconsul replied, I have wild beasts, if thou repent not, I will throw thee to them. To which Polycarp replied, send for them. For repentance from better to worse is not a change permitted to us, but to change from cruelty to righteousness is a noble thing. The proconsul said, if thou doest despise the wild beasts, I will make thee to be consumed by fire, if thou repent not. Polycarp answered, thou threatenest the fire that burns for an hour, and in a little while is quenched. For thou knowest not of the fire of the judgment to come, and the fire of the eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why delayest thou? Bring what thou wilt. The proconsul sent word that it should be proclaimed aloud to the crowd three times. Polycarp hath confessed himself to be a Christian. After the crowd found out that there were no beasts available for the task, they cried out for him to be burned alive. The wood was gathered and as they were about to nail his hands to the timber, he said, let me be as I am. He that granted me to endure the fire will grant me also to remain at the pyre unmoved without being secured with nails. The fire did not consume him, but an executioner drove a dagger into his body and all the multitude marvelled at the great difference between the unbelievers and the elect. And John Piper finishes with this, he says, when we are so satisfied in Christ that we're enabled to willingly die for him, we are free to love the lost as never before and Christ is shown to be a great treasure. Can we pray together? Our great Father God in heaven, we read these stories of truly remarkable men that you've been at work in down the ages, but their example seems far off to us as we face a trial here or there. Those trials seem so much bigger and more amazing and uh, almost unimaginable in terms of daily life 
And yet, God, you are at work in us just as you were at work in Polycarp to work the character of our Lord who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Father, would you please teach us to willingly deny ourselves and take up our cross, even today? Would you please teach us to do so leaning on you, calling on you, even finding joy in the work that you're doing in us and the joy that you've set ahead of us. Father, thank you for the sure hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. It doesn't waver. We know your goodness in it and we pray that you teach us to persevere in it. Dear Father, may we be a support to one another along the road, spurring and helping, encouraging and speaking in a way that points to the Lord Jesus, that makes it plain that he is our treasure and may we freely speak of our Lord to the lost uh, as they look on. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.